and I said, your job is this, go do your job. And I gave them a directive, it was clear communication, and I did that with the next person and the next person. And you know what, we put the fire on and we were rescued. But it was, how do you give that advice? The advice would be just in your being, when you have to make those command decisions and it's stressful, take, find something that works for you. For me, I look at my feet, I take a deep breath, and then I center myself and calm myself so I can then give directives that are calm and clear. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and today's guest is Sandy Young, best known as Captain Sandy. Not only is she a renowned super yacht captain with over 30 years of international maritime experience, Captain Sandy is also the lead, series lead on Bravo's hit show, Below Deck Mediterranean. Throughout her life, Captain Sandy has displayed incredible resilience and excellence as she became a female role model and rose to the top of her industry. Today, she is still one of only a handful of female leaders in the maritime industry, but through her work, she is paving the way for women in the boating space. In this episode, we talk about what it's like to be CEO of a ship, and we dig into her exceptional leadership style that has helped her break through every obstacle in her path, from the glass ceilings and near-fatal accidents on land to pirates and fires at sea. I'm so excited to have Captain Sandy on the show today. I know you will love this episode. So, Captain Sandy, thank you for joining me today on InFactor. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you. I'm a boater, as you know, and of course, I love, I've enjoyed your all your episodes on Below Deck, so I'm really excited about that, and I was excited to meet you about a month ago or so here in Tampa when you were doing a special program at Marine Max, so, and twisted your arm to be on the show. Yeah. You know, honestly, anything to connect with a water or a boater, I'm in. Okay. Well, well, I'm definitely a boater. It's life change. It's been life changing for me. So, and I think it has been for you and that's what we're here to talk about today. I'm really excited to talk about your story. A lot of our listeners are, I'm sure fans of Below Decks, but they also, I hope are some of them are boaters, but most of them are entrepreneurs or one of the entrepreneurs, and you've had a very entrepreneurial career that has kind of brought together your love of boating and, and even, you know, building your brand and, and doing some exciting things with, with televisions, but you grew up in Florida and I've been here now for 11 years and it's hard to be here without being on the water. Actually, you've had a lifetime on the water. And could you tell us a little bit about how you came from being a passenger on a boat to being the captain of a super yacht? Sure, I'd love to. I grew up in Florida, water skiing, very young. We all, you know, we always had small boats, just water sports. It was all about recreational boating. I was that kid that, you know, my sister was the perfect kid and I was that black sheep of the family. And she went off to college and I went to the hard, you know, the school of hard knocks. I didn't graduate and I didn't go to college. So I answered an ad in the paper washing boats. And I learned everything there was to learn about cleaning boats. And then I had a guy offer me a full-time job and he 
actually invested in me, sent me to school. I learned engineering. I got my captain's license. And then I began this journey in becoming a captain. And that was for me, a lot of hard work. I was really focused and I thought, oh my gosh, I can make money, get a suntan and be (laughs) on the water at the same time. This is incredible. And be around really cool people because the maritime industry, you're surrounded with the people who own the boats and you're like shoulder to shoulder with them. So I pursued this career. I didn't stop. I continued going to school. And it's usually when you start with an owner, they, they build up. And that's exactly what happened. I went from a 67 Hatteras to a 92, continued my education, and then on to a 157, and then became a charter captain in the Med. Well, wow. yeah. Med Caribbean in Florida. Yeah. So you you did start out really as an entrepreneur with that first ad, right? That you put in the paper to clean boats. And then and then you learned everything there was about it. So you stepped out and took a chance and and things kind of came together. So what's it like? What is the life? I know you do a lot now beyond just being on the boat, but what's it like to be the captain of a super yacht? What's a day in the, the life of that kind of? It's fascinating, fun, challenging. It's all those things. And remember, being a captain, you're like the CEO of a company because you are in charge of the finance, the HR. We wear all different hats, the marketing and you know guest relations. So you are definitely a CEO labeled captain. And mm-hmm. the thing for me is I get to meet all these incredible people. I get to travel so many wonderful places and learn about different cultures. And that to me is something that the maritime industry offers that I would never have gotten in school. And when you're face to face with these different nationalities, you learn, you learn about them, you learn, you know, these interpersonal relationships, what it is, the human element, we have to take a class, it's called human element, it's called helm. And it's all about how to communicate, how to communicate with different nationalities amongst each other and and be in command at the same time. So for a captain on a motor yacht, it's awesome. But at the same time, it's very challenging, because it isn't always about the budget. It's, you know, obviously safety first, but you know, money's a big part of it. And you want to, you know, operate in the confines of that budget and please your client, please the owner and please your crew. And it's right, not right. easy. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a CEO, really juggling all those various aspects of operations and making sure that it all works. And you mentioned communication. I love that because, that, you know, my husband and I learned a lot about communicating with each other, actually boating. Because, you know, when you're docking, for example, or when you're in a stressful situation, your voice can rise. And (laughs) sometimes, you know, what you're trying to communicate doesn't always come across. One of the things when we were docking, my husband would guide me because I couldn't always see on our sailboat. So he would say five degrees to port, you know, and I'd go five degrees to port. But then he didn't think I had moved because the boat's slow. So he'd say it again. I'd go five more. And we learned I had to repeat things back to him a lot of times, just, you know, so communication is, is critical. And you brought that up. Yes. And in the maritime industry, that's what we learn. We learn how to communicate. They teach you that because when you're giving commands over the radio or you're calling for help, you repeat yourself and you make sure you're clear and concise. And there's a whole different nomenclature for communication on a VHF. 
Also, one of the things I like to do with the crew is let them drive the boat so they feel the responsibility and they hear how important communication is. Mm-hmm. And when you're using a radio, you have to make sure you press the mic and then you speak. A lot of people will press the mic and talk at the same time and you only catch a little bit of that. But just like you shared, in a stressful situation, remaining calm is very important. And I like to share this. A lot of people in any situation, when there's fear, most people react. And I always share this because I had a fire in the Red Sea. I had a moment where I had to have self-leadership. And I always share this. Leadership starts at home. And then you have to you have to have that self-leadership. And one of the things I do, and it's, I've used it over the years, is I look at my feet. I take a couple breaths. And then I look up. And then I stay calm. And I communicate. So fear is a reaction. And courage is a decision. And the courage comes from that pause that knowing that, hey, if I communicate clearly, I will be able to transcend that communication in a calm way and keep my team calm in any scenario, whether it's in a corporate world, on a vessel at sea, on fire or anything. And that's really something that I have learned over the years. How I respond and communicate is how my team Mm -hmm. will respond and communicate. So it's important for me to know that because I know my responsibility as a captain is to keep my team calm, keep my team focused and make sure that they know their specific job and communicate clearly. And once you do that, you have a team that's incredible and it certainly makes you shine to the boss, right? Yeah. Yeah. That what great advice in there. You know, it, we all face maybe not the, the kinds of stress that you do, but running a business can be very stressful, very frightening take a lot of courage. And you're right, you know, I've even learned that with my, my kids, my children, you know, people around you that look up to you are going to take their cue and on a boat and a super yacht, especially you need your team to be aligned. Great advice. So Captain Sandy, you are somewhat unique in your industry because it's male dominated. Boating has traditionally been, you know, we've had way more male captains than females. I don't know the numbers on that. You probably have a better picture of that, but I'd love to talk, you know, I love it every time I see a female captaining a boat. I just think that's really cool. And it should be much more the norm probably than it is. So could you talk a little bit about what that's been like? Sure. Over the years, obviously more women are on deck. The one great thing about Bravo TV is they've made that known across the country, you can actually be a yacht captain, and you can work on deck. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe, you know, maybe back in the day, it was the men who prevented this. But today, I don't think that's the case. I think it's women, women need to, you know, women can decide I want to work on deck, and owners allow that opportunity. You know, when you come to making decisions and command decisions, it's not about muscle or strength. It's about Mm decision-making. And sometimes working on deck, you handle these big lines and you have to have that strength where women don't have the strength as as a guy, but you could still work on deck. I believe that women choose what they want to do. And if you really want to pursue a career that's in a male dominated industry, do it, push those boundaries, push those barriers. Men are open to that. And you know, I always share this, like I've been turned down for jobs because I was a female on a boat, but then, you know, four more open. So yes, you always have that one that turns you down, but persevere, walk through that fear, choose courage and make that decision. And 
just do it. I can't explain in my words, how to make that happen inside of a person. It has to come with within to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's really great advice. And, you know, I think sometimes we get in in the way of our own success. And that's probably true for men and women. But I think you're right. I, I love the fact that a lot of the things that you're doing with Below Decks is opening up maybe, you know, providing young women, especially with a visual and a role model for what they can actually do. Because, you know, there, there are a lot of assumptions when we don't know about things. Right. And are you seeing more women enter into this profession? You know, I'm just doing the show now. Like I just run the boat for the show. I actually was texting with a friend of mine who was my mentor. Her name is Vicki. And she was Paul Allen's captain. She, she was the first woman that I knew of. She won charter captain of the year. She ran a big boat. She went from a, I think that she was on a 40, 45 meter, 50 meter. And then she went up to, Medus, which was 242 feet. It's a wow. massive yacht. And I remember being in the Monaco Harbor, watching her take it off the dock and feeling so inspired by this. So yes, there are women that are in the industry. I think Bravo's opened the door for people to go, hey, even in middle America, where there's no water, I can actually work on a boat. So I think that network has reached these people more so than the maritime industry. Because as you know, the boating world's very small, very tight, mm-hmm. and they've opened it up. You don't necessarily have to live on the ocean or, you know, be near the water to want to work in this industry and or be a captain or be a chief engineer. There's many women chief engineers. It's a possibility for anyone as long as they do the work. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably true of a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Do the work and that's what happens. So you'd been a captain for a number of years. I'm not sure how many, but I, about five or six years ago, you did take on this role with Bravo in Below Decks Mediterranean. So can you talk about how you got involved with the show? And and I'm kind of curious about what all your colleagues, your family, friends, and maybe fellow captains out there thought about your decision. Everyone thought it fell into my lap. Everyone thought it would destroy my career because it's out there. And, you know, I had to do, I considered not doing it. And then I thought, wait a minute, I believe in, I believe in God, right? So I'm I'm that person. It landed in my lap at a time where I was really, I was hit by a car, kidney cancer, went through a breakup and then boom, below deck lands in my lap as I'm recovering from all those crashes and cancer. And they asked me and I met with them and I thought, Hey, you know what, I'm going to pursue this and see where it goes. And it look where it is today. You know, honestly, I feel like I was given this platform to inspire women and young kids. And that's what I'm doing. So as long as it keeps showing up, I'm going to keep doing it. And when that, you know, ship comes ashore, I'll step out of that and into something else. And that's how I look doors open for people, right? If you, if it's on your heart, it's probably what you're meant to do. Sometimes things land in your lap and you go, should I, shouldn't I, if it lands in your lap, it's probably a yes. So it's making that decision. And what was the second part of your question? Oh, my, my family. Well, they loved it, you know, but my friends were resistant, but I did it and I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a great experience. And, and I agree with you. I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's this old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And it's kind of the same thing. There's, you know, there's this idea of serendipity, but I think 
a lot of times life prepares us for for these opportunities. And the question is, are we going to take, are we going to have the courage really to step out and try something different? And you did. And, and how exciting and how fun and what an opportunity for you, like you said, to inspire in a way that you might not have been able to otherwise, because to have a platform like that allows you to reach so many more people. And so tell us what's going on now. Where are we with Below Decks Mediterranean? Well, you know, there are seasons getting ready to air June 21st on Peacock and then June 28th on Bravo. And really, it's just about growing the brand and thinking outside the box. I want to educate young kids. I'm trying to get this Captain Sandy and the Ocean Rangers into schools. I think I found some funding for that just to, because, you know, when I was a kid, I never knew I could work in the maritime industry. And I was, wasn't like my sister. I wasn't going to go to college. That was never on, that was never for me. If I would have known this, I think I would have, you know, I would have been saved a lot earlier. So basically I feel like that's my role is to get this out there, educate kids, in all aspects of the ocean, ocean conservation. You could be a marine biologist. You could be anything. The maritime industry is vast. Just look at Freedom Boat Club and all these other, you know, avenues. You could be a yacht sales. You could be a yacht captain, yacht engineer. And to reach these kids when they're young, they can aspire to be in the maritime industry, which is a great industry. So basically, that's what I'm doing. The focus is kids. Yeah. And that's, I love it. You know, and I... I shared this, I was talking to about 800 city managers last week in Texas, and it was on leadership. And I read a lot of books that are tied to leadership, but in the storytelling way, Mm -hmm. I'm not a tech way because I'm not that brain. And I came across this, you know, in anything, Napoleon was a dealer in hope. And that's what leader, I mean, Napoleon said, leaders are a dealer in hope, right? And I want to be the dealer of hope. I want to be that person, not just in leadership, but in life. Like there are so many people, especially after COVID, they've lost their careers. They've lost their businesses. But maybe that's for a reason. So you get into something else. And mm-hmm. there's always a positive outlook. And I'm the, the eternal optimist. You know, I'm that person. I look at every tragedy as an opportunity to change. Or, you know, keep moving forward. I also heard this, when you get pushed back, don't make a step back. Don't take a step back, make a comeback. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of stories too. And that's one reason I love this podcast. And students can listen to stories and learn so much from it. So I agree with you. And and I think stories are really inspiring. So we talked about building the brand of Below Decks, but a big part of what you've that you do now is building your own personal brand. And I know for many entrepreneurs, you know, that's an important part of what they need to do. And so I was wondering if you had some thoughts on that, you know, some things maybe you learned and some things you would share with our listeners. Sure. You know, I always start with this. If it feels right, then it is right. Because if you trust your gut, you should follow that, right? If it feels wrong, then it is wrong and do the next right thing. And when I put my brand out there, I stay authentic to who I am. TV can go to a lot of people's heads. So my friends and family make sure I stay grounded because sometimes <laughs> it's a smackdown and sometimes it's a gentle pull, but I'm grateful for that. And 
when you're building your brand, I would recommend you stay true to who you are because that's your brand. And then hire or connect with those people who are good at taking it to the next level. So I know I'm an ideas person. I got that down. I work for a guy and he he's an ideas person. And he said, we're those people. So you need the next level, right? So I have great ideas, but I'm not the person who can implement it into the next stage. So I engage those people who can help me take it from my idea to a reality. When I know my limitations and I stay authentic and I ask for help, it just automatically happens. That's the magic. There's really no magic, but the magic is staying authentic. Whatever your, your thing is, mine's ideas. I have great ideas. I love education for, for, for children. So I'm pursuing that. But I also learned with all my ideas, I can only focus on one thing at a time. And that's where you stay focused. And there's a speech by Denzel Washington, and he talks about how people dream. Dreams are great. That's what lands on your heart. Dreams are great. But it takes, you have to do something every day to work towards that dream and have goals and, you know, connect with those people and continue doing that. And right now it's just about kids for me. I have the right people on my boat. And mm-hmm. they're helping me take it to the next level because I'm not an expert in brand building, but I, I connect with those experts in brand building, right? I'm an expert on being a captain. I'm an expert of, you know, leading crew. I'm not an expert at brand building. So I make sure I surround myself with those people and hire them and then put my ideas out and I'm not attached to them. If they're not a great idea and they say, you know what, this isn't going to work. I let it go. Because I listen to the pros. And I always share this as well. When I have a team, because I have a team, and they, they'll ask me a question, I always say, I defer to you because you're the expert. That's why you're in my life. So you advise me. Yeah. I think it's got a, a kindness or, I don't know, respect they ask me. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know that answer. That's your job. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. So a lot of that starts with knowing yourself, right? And getting clear on who you are, because you talked about authenticity and talked about filling in sort of gaps in what, what you know, and where your expertise is with other people. And that's great advice. And it's, you know, and also I'd like to share this when you're on TV, you'll get a lot of, I got a lot of offers. And I remember this guy asked me, and he's, he's a big film director. And he said, Sandy, Do you want to be like this person and just go after the low hanging fruit and just make money? Or do you want to be like this person and build a brand that changes life? And I go, well, of course I want to make money, but I want to be, I want to build a brand that changes lives. And that's for me. So whatever anyone's mission is in life, building your brand, you have to ask yourself that question. Do you just want to take and take and make money? Or do you want to build something that's is sustainable and that changes lives? Yeah, that's great advice. And, and it works in so many ways, right? In the decisions that you make. That it's kind of like have, figuring out your true north and always heading back there, right? <laughs> Using your compass, right? That's right. Because the GPS doesn't always work. <laughs> that's right. And you don't have to know how to dead reckon. You yeah, know? exactly. Dead you, you calculate your last known position and you, you know, calculate your speed and time and, and that yeah. should be where your next position is. But yes, a lot of times you don't have a compass. It doesn't work. And a lot of times you don't have a GPS. So that's when you, well, you go back to the basics. Yeah, but you know yeah. what? Uh, I like that metaphor. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's so many great metaphors from voting, I think, for life. So you talked earlier about, I know you do a lot of speaking about leadership. And I've even seen that you've done some things on YouTube talking about leadership. And there have been some programs on TV, which I found very interesting. Would you talk a little bit about your leadership philosophy as a super yacht captain and as the CEO of your ship? So it's lead her ship. (laughs) Right, right. I learned by working for people, I did not take leadership courses. I learned by saying, oh, I will never, you know, when you're a kid and you're growing up and go, I'll never make my kids do that. or I'll never treat my kids like that when you're getting punished. Well, sort of like that when I was young and, you know, starting in this business, I'll never treat my crew like that. Because in my mind, I was always going to be a captain. How I lead is how I would want to be treated. That's the magic. How I lead is how I would want someone to talk to me how I would want someone to treat me. And also that self-correction. My leadership starts with leading myself first. Leaders have to learn to follow. You you have to follow first before you can lead. And that's what I did. I learned to follow. I talk about this. There, There are soldiers. You have three types of people, soldiers, leaders, and bosses, right? I wanted to be a leader. But I had to be a soldier first and soldiers take orders. They follow direction. You know, they stay in their lane and leaders, leaders lead. They're the first ones out there, right? So they, they take their team with them. Leaders educate, give their team the tools they need, support them when they need supported and, and take the heat if something goes wrong and they shield their team from that criticism or that heat. And they say, great job. So a leader is supposed to shoulder that and not spread that out into their team because they know that their team did their very best. And sometimes the very best isn't, isn't good enough for the client. So what I always say to my team is, don't worry about what the client says. You think about how I think you did your job. It doesn't matter because we can't please everyone. All you have to do is make sure that the captain is pleased. And as far as I can see, you guys did your job. And bosses, this is the other one. A boss sits behind a desk and gives order. Do as I say, not as I do. And that's the difference, you know, if you want to work your way up to leadership. And I never want to be that person. I like to, it's selfless leadership. It's servant leadership. It's all those things. I'll give you an example. I had a a Monaco Grand Prix charter, a repeat client. He's about five feet tall. And he comes on the boat. My first officer, he was just promoted. I just promoted him. He had his epaulets on, dressed, looking handsome at the passerelle because, you know, single. And yeah. I was watching him. I was standing behind him and seeing how proud he was with his, you know, three bars. My client walks on, gives him the shoes and says, hey, mate, will you clean my shoes? I saw my first officer's eyeballs. And I grabbed the client's shoes and I go, no problem, sir. And I motioned for my first officer to go downstairs and I proceeded to clean his shoes. I did not reprimand him. I just showed him through my actions. And I said, sometimes what you think is a job that's above you or or beneath you is not the case. I clean his shoes. And my thought was, as long as he sees me doing it, he's like, wow, the captain does it. And I cleaned the shoes and I gave them back to him. And that's how you lead. You show them that you're willing to do the job, that you can do the job, and that you, you, you show them without reprimanding them. I invest in people, and that's, that's it. You know, I, 
That's the gold. I mean, that is the gold. The gold standard. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I've watched, you know, what I've seen of your leadership and it's, it is different from many of the captains that I've seen and, and then some I've experienced. My husband had been a sailor for a long time, but I took lessons after we, after we got married. And the first captain that we had, that we dealt with when I was learning on the sailboat, liked to yell a lot. And it made me really nervous. I was already nervous anyway. (laughs) And I didn't respond well to that. And he was, you know, he was kind of, kind of condescending to my husband who had already sailed, but you know, who knew knew more than me for sure. But the second one that I had, second time I took some lessons was with a, a younger captain that was just, you know, he was really encouraging. And he asked me first, before we started, you know, tell me what, you know, what are your thoughts? And, you know, and I, I basically was able to share more about who I was, why, why I wanted to do what I was doing and that sort of thing. And, you know, he figured out right away kind of how to put me in situations where I could excel versus situations where he could point out what I was doing wrong. And it made all the difference in my comfort level and my willingness to learn to sail. And, you know, both of them, we were on, one was a 54 foot, one was 40. So, so they were, you know, big enough boats that there was, there was a challenge a time or two. And there was a lot to learn, as you know, with sailing and boating in general, just even learning the language. But it was such a different experience. And I've watched you and it's really a different experience. And so my question for you around that is, I, I love where you're going with that. But my question is, how do you, how do you deal with Does that still work in a crisis situation or in a stressful situation? And how so? Yes, it does. And I'll, okay, first of all, a leader should know your job well. When I step on a boat, I think like this I give my crew 100% trust. I trust them. They have my trust and they have my respect. When I, I don't think that I have their trust or respect, they have to respect the command position but they Mm -hmm. don't have to respect me as a person. So I know that I have to earn their respect, their trust, and and in turn, I get their loyalty, right? So my job is to show them that I know exactly what I'm doing, that I will have their back, that I will support them. And that's how I move forward. And I share this and I, and I start like this. Don't ever be my last thought, my, you know, my first thought in the morning and my last thought before I go to bed, that is not a good day for you, right? Because even in this leadership role, you still have to make hard decisions and, sure. and, and let them know that that's not okay. If you really want, and I, I share this, if you really want to be here, the, this is, I get, you know, rid of the pleasantries first. We go over that and it's all the rules and my expectations. So right from the beginning, they know my expectation. They know the confines of, you know, these are the rule breakers and these are the deal breakers, Right. And I make sure that's clear. And the next step is then I show them through my learning that I know my job. When I had the fire in the Red Sea, they were, I had all eyeballs on me. And in my mind, I was scared to death. But my body exuded, like, I'm in command. Don't worry. We got this. I got a warship on the way, you know. We got this. And at the same time, in my mind, are the pirates going to make it here first or the warship? What I did was I stood in hope. I gave them hope and I gave them the calm 
that I, I wasn't calm inside. Remember I said, I look at my feet and I look up, I got that calmness from that, that technique, even though inside I was scared to death, I didn't, that energy wasn't coming off of me. And I made a couple of jokes and, you know, the crew started to relax and it's in those moments. And that's when you, you know, I think it's defined if you're a leader or not, is that when you're in those life-threatening moments or those very stressful moments or, you know, fireable moments, can you stay calm in the middle of the storm? So be the calm in the storm. And that's really the goal. And that's, I think, what makes a successful leader is being that and, and staying and be the communication direct. Like when I had people freaking out, one girl tried to jump overboard, another guy just froze, my first officer. And I looked at him and I, I made everyone, I go, let's all take a deep breath. We did it together. And then I looked them each in the eyes and I said, your job is this, go do your job. And I gave them a directive. It was clear communication. And I did that with the next person and the next person. And you know what? We put the fire on and we were rescued. But it was, how do you give that advice? The advice would be just in your being, when you have to make those command decisions and it's stressful, take, find something that works for you. For me, I look at my feet, I take a deep breath. And then I center myself and calm myself so I can then give directives that are calm and clear. Yeah. So there's several things in there I want to talk about, but let's, while we're talking about it, would you share a little bit more with our listeners about that? I know you received an award for the way that you handled the situation. Could you tell a little bit more about that story? The fire? Sure. Yeah. I worked for a billionaire Arab two years I think after, so 2004, President Bush was reelected, I think a couple years after September 11th, I don't remember that year. And then, and then four years after the U.S. or no, a couple years after the USS Cole was bombed. So I take this crew, we journey through the Red Sea. Along that way, this kid's sister got killed in a car accident. She was only 21. So I had to deliver that news. By the time I got to Egypt, we flew him out back to New Zealand. I boarded a British SAS officer to keep the boat secure, you know, safe and secure in the crew. Mm-hmm. Of and then we started our journey through the Red Sea. And when I got into the Red Sea, it was really rough. Brand new boat. When a boat's pounding in the ocean, all the sediment from the tanks start coming up. And then, you know, things happen. And that's, it's never in calm seas do boat, boats break down. It's always. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's what happened. So we had to find a place to anchor and I anchored off of these islands off Yemen and we didn't know it was a military camp was there by the next morning we were boarded machine guns, you know, the women were, you know, hiding and, you know, that lasted for a couple of days and then we repaired our engine and that's when we had our fire. Excuse me. It's interesting what you, you remember. I had heard prior to that NATO formed coalition of warships to monitor pirate areas. And I had heard coalition warship six, eight, it was a woman voice. And what stuck out to me, no men were answering her. And it made me mad. I'm like, they answer the men, but they don't answer the woman, you know, and Uh that stuck out. So I called warship six, eight said, I'm an American citizen sustained a fire in Yemen territory. And they said, you're our priority and you'll remain our priority until you're safe. And they rescued us. And, you know, I thought, oh yes, we can breathe a sigh of relief, but you know where they took us? Hadida. So now I get taken from sea into Hadida and during Ramadan and we're surrounded with gunboats and it was terrible. 13 days of hell. We made it out. It was not fun for me. Then for five years, I defended my license in a lawsuit because when you're in command of something like an airplane or a boat, for some reason, 
they like to blame the captain, no matter what, because they don't want to pay the claim. And I defended my license for five years. And finally, I got the letter that every decision I made was the right decision. And I'll never forget this. I was sitting at a table at a table with 15 lawyers around the table. Everybody had was lawyered up and they were all eyes on me. It was all men. I was the only woman there. And this one attorney just really ripped me apart. And I remember looking, I was done. Five years later, I go, I'm done. I looked at that attorney and I said, you know, you're trying to blame me when your client's equipment failed. And what you should be doing right now is thanking me that no lives were lost and the vessel was saved. Uh And I got up and I walked out, I go, I'm done. And that's when the two weeks later, I got the letter saying that I was, you know, I was free and clear. What an experience. And that, and all of that, I mean, you know, the, first of all, the stress you had to go through with the experience and then five years of dealing with whether or not you could continue with your career. Wow. It's no wonder that you dealt with some health issues after that, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing will really wear you down. But I know you learned a lot from it and you received an award for that, for your bravery and courage through that. So congratulations and I hope you never have to deal with anything remotely like that again. <laughs> yeah, I'll share this fun little fact. I, I, I'm in the Flynn's house now. And that's who taught me how to drive a boat. And his wife and I are like sisters. And, you know, she goes, Sandy, because I make everything look fun. If I have to work, I'm going to find the fun in it. Right. And I always challenge myself. I'm going to give myself three hours to do this or, you know, time management. And I, she goes, you hug, not hug, you Tom Sawyer'd me. Because, you know, painting the fence, hug right. Tom Sawyer. Yes. <laughs> That's perfect. People told me that today because, you know, it was like, hey, can you, you know, it's like fun. And that's, I think is if a leader brings that energy for their team, their team's in, you know, and also team building. And I do a lot of that. And I make sure whatever boat I run, that there's money in there that I can do team building. Yeah, but that's all great advice. One other question that some of your conversation brought up to me was, you know, you mentioned that you have to earn the respect of your team, but that you give them respect. And so I imagine you spend a, a long time with making decisions about who to bring on the team. Is that correct? Do you do you have that? Are you able yes, to? In the maritime industry, yes. But for the show, they're all casted. I meet them for the first time when I go to the boat for the first time. I meet yeah. the boat and the crew for the first so time. So that's interesting, I'm sure. Very stressful. But yes, over the years, all captains hire and fire the crew because you're in command, right? So I, what I do is hire department heads and I empower them and encourage them to hire their team. So, mm-hmm. and I always say, you know, in the beginning, I have them all sitting down and I share with them. These are your department heads. You go to them with any issues. If it makes it to the bridge, usually someone gets fired because if you can't work it out amongst yourself, how am I going to work it out? Unless you're sexually harassed or something else. And I think problem solving amongst your teams, I think that's, that's something that should be really taught more instead of taking it all the way up to the top. Because as a captain, I'm dealing with a lot. I don't want to be thinking about why the, the third student's not doing laundry or, you know, I don't want to have to think about that. That's why I hired my department heads to hire their team. So they're responsible. And that's, you know, giving them that responsibility and empowering them to make command decisions within their departments. And when it comes to that point where I have to step in, you know, usually it can't be resolved. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say, obviously I hired my team. They're excellent at their job. And I'll give you this one example. I had a second stew come to me. I was in mid charter sits on the bridge and says, I can't work with the chief stew. 
and her first officer, her boyfriend was my first officer. So now if I lose one, I lose two. And she goes, either you get rid of her or I quit. So I said, you sit right here. And I went down to the, her department head and I said, I go, Aoife, I don't care what you have to do to get us through this charter. You send her a bed, you take her for ice cream, but you make this much money and she makes this much money. You fix this until we get to the dock and find your backup. And she did. And that, and so I came back to the bridge and I go, oh, you know, it's all worked out. Go, you know, go talk to Aoife. And it's those moments where I think a person in, in leadership should, you know, think about the big picture. Because I had a charter to complete and you're only as good as your team, right? So mm-hmm. I'm only as good as my last charter. If my clients report to the broker, it was terrible, the chiefs do, blah, 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 then I'm not going to have a job. And it, it just, you know, continues to go up to the owner. So you deal with these you make these decisions and you empower your team. And that's exactly what I do is I hire these people in the maritime industry to hire their people. Right, right. That's always a challenging part of every entrepreneur, I think, to go from doing something themselves to empowering other people to do it. And so a lot lot of great lessons in there. You know, one of the questions I like to ask my guests is about resilience. And it's pretty obvious from all the stories we've talked about that you've developed a lot of resilience over the years. In entrepreneurship, I talk a lot about executing past failure. And I just wonder, were there any times where you had like a colossal failure or, you know, you thought you might be ready to quit, but you kind of had to push through it besides, you know, fires and being kidnapped and all of that? but on a different scale. Did you ever deal with that? And, and what have you learned about resilience or any advice about resilience? Sure. You know, as a captain, thank God I've never really run aground. Those are really fireable moments because when an insurance company has to get involved, they won't insure the, the captain for the boat. And okay, good story. Owner hired me, went to the Caribbean and we had two boats that one lived on the boat. So that was probably $85,000. And then we towed $225,000 boat. Our hydraulics stopped working. So I couldn't load the, you know, the other little boat. So I called the owner and I said, you know, why don't we ship it? I can't load it. And you have a deadline for me to be in Florida. And he goes, tow it. I go, I'm already towing a boat. He goes, well, tow it behind that boat. And I said, I can't. It's just, and he goes, I, I go, it'll fill with water. He goes, well, stop and take the water out. So I could not explain to that owner that that's dangerous and that's impossible. So my decision was to tow it. I'm going to listen to what he said. I know it's not going to make it. And we lost that boat at sea. Now, I knew that I didn't tell him. So I arrived in the Bahamas from the Caribbean. And the next morning, the crew were knocking on my door because they had taken the other boat out for, you know, a ride. Knocks on the door. He's all wet. And he goes, you got to come look at this 6 a.m. in the morning. I go outside and the other tender's upside down because they had docked it and it went under the dock and it filled with water. Instead of waking me up when it was full of water, they untied it and it flipped upside down. So now I've lost two tenders, right? Those decisions. Now, the second one was not my fault. The first one was my fault. I should have never towed it. Now I have to make the call. And you know what I did? I already knew it was done. So I called him up and I said, I'm going to give you the bad news. 
first, and then I'm going to give you the good news. And I, I shared with him that we're both lost at sea. I go, but I looked at the insurance policy. It's only going to cost you $500. You're going to get your tenders replaced and then I'll resign. He goes, good idea. And I had to, because I knew I was, he was going to fire me. So I said, I guess I said, I guess I should resign. And he said, good idea. I resigned. I, I said, I'll get your boat back. You know, I made sure I did the right thing. And then there's one more story where I didn't have to resign and I didn't get fired is I worked for the founder of First Republic Bank and I forgot to do something. It was pretty major. He gets an email, mean email from a broker. He sends me that email and he goes, call me to discuss. Well, that feeling to call me and I read that email and I was like, oh my God, I forgot when he picked up the phone. And this is what I want to share to everyone. Own it. Don't make excuses. Own your mistake, own it. And so the first words out, he goes, explain. He didn't say hi, explain. And I said, honestly, Jim, I forgot. I can, I go, we just come off this busy time. I completely forgot. He goes, I knew it. He goes, and he was so, he was so cool. He goes, I knew it had to be something. He goes, I knew you didn't do this on purpose. I just knew it. And he was like, don't let it happen again. And he hung up, that was it. And so for me, what that really resonated in me was tell the truth, own it. I forgot and take responsibility. And I didn't get fired. What great advice. You know, it seems like we live in a world today where everybody wants to point the finger and blame everybody else. And to see somebody that's had your success and all the awards and, you know, just highly competent, show your vulnerability and say, I mess up too, but I, I own up to it. And that what a great lesson and what a great message to send to all of our listeners and for all of us to think about. You mentioned earlier that you kind of have a platform now working with young people. I'm just really interested in kind of where are you headed next? I mean, what's up for Captain Sandy? I know you've got you've got a new season that's about to air and you're enjoying that. What kinds of other things are you working on now? Well, you know, speaking, leadership, and I'm going to be doing a live tour. So I started with this I Believe tour because I was that person that I needed. I, you know, it wasn't like my sister. I was the other, the other person. And I wanted to be able to inspire people by using music. Obviously, you know, the education side for kids, Ocean Rangers, educating the ocean. But the live tour for me is going to be to infuse music. And I'll share this. I had a friend that was always depressed. I got in the car. And she was listening to coffee house. And I go, why don't you change the station? Like, why don't you just change the station? So what we input, it does affect us. So what we listen to, right? If there's a tone and years ago, I met this astrophysicist at a function, maritime function, and she recorded the music of the stars. And she taught me that our heartbeat, it's all about frequencies. Like we have VHF radios. It's a frequency 22, you know, we have frequencies and she goes, the heartbeats on a frequency. And when you hear music that you connect with, it's beating on your heart's frequency. And I was like, wow, that really touched me. And I just thought what I listen to, it impacts me. So I like playing positive music and happy music. And then there are those times you want to hear, you know, slow jazz or whatever. But I told her, put on boogie shoes. The next thing you know, we put on this song and she's like happy. And it's those endorphins that release. So this, I be- not, it's not called I Believe. It's this new live show I'm going to do. It was going to be infused with music. And the takeaway is a Sandy set, right? This is what I listen to. 
And even when I'm challenged and I'm in, you know, those moments of decision-making, I'll, I'll play a little piece of music and I'll get that courage. Because how many times have you watched a movie, Chariots of Fire? You just want to go out and run, right? Yeah. You, just <laughs> run. you know, that inspiration, that type of inspiration. And I watched this uh, Invictus. There's, if you Google this, it's Morgan Freeman Leadership Lessons and Colin Powell did a great speech. But you hear these people, how they inspire teams. And I always think like that. It's a team, right? We're a team. I'm a coach. I'm a leader. I'm all these things. I'm a person. I'm a human. And, you know, even on our, our Bravo pickups, you know, people out there, they can be brutal. And I go, I have skin. I'm human. I make mistakes. And you do that self-correction. So yeah, it's music infuse the soul with music and change that thinking. And that's what I'm doing. That's so cool. So will you be going around the U.S. or around the yeah, world? Right or? now I have like 70 cities. Booked. Are you going to be in Tampa? Oh, yeah. I'll be in Tampa. I'll oh, make good. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure I know about that because I'd love to I'd love to experience that. Yeah. Well, it's happened, Sandy. I could stay and talk a long time because, first of all, you know, we have a love of boating and, and the water, but I just love your stories and I'm so inspired by everything that I hear. And, but I know you've got a lot going on and I need to let you go. But before I do, I always end by asking my guests if they had one piece of advice that they would leave for our listeners, knowing that a lot of them are students and entrepreneurs and, and people that want to be entrepreneurs, what would that be? It would be what I learned. Leaders are dealers of hope. Just be that beacon of hope, because no matter what you do in life, you have to have hope. And that's really my message. And what a great message, especially after about 18 months of, of what we've dealt with over the last, the pandemic and isolating. It's, it's great to be back out. And, and I'm excited for your tour and excited to see the new episodes and to follow all the things that you're doing. And, and I'm especially excited that I've gotten to meet you and just take a little bit of that positive energy from you. So thank you for sharing that. Likewise. Where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do? So my website, captainsandyyawn.com. And, you know, I'm on Twitter, the same, and Instagram. It's all the same. Captain Sandy. Sounds great. Thank you, Sandy. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor. Factor.